All right, the Long Gospel, Part 24. I know this. I hate the time change. Why? And the world driving to church when it's pitch black. Uh, don't like it. Don't like it. Don't like it at all. People got Christmas lights up, and it's November 9th. What is that all about? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we just leave them up the whole year. Okay. All right. I know. You don't notice that stuff until you have to drive to church when it's completely dark. All right. Everyone ready? I hope so. Here we go. For those listening online, I'll make sure the chat is open. On, here we go. Maybe. Here we go. All right. We are on thesis what? What thesis are we on? No, we're still on three. We're still on three. And, and thesis number three reads as rightly distinguishing the law and the gospel is the most difficult and the highest art of Christians in general and of theologians in particular. And of course, they claim it's taught by the Holy Ghost, which I disagree. But I do agree it's taught in the school of experience because it's living out the Christian life, I think, where law and gospel becomes not only super important, but we see the complications of the application. And they even acknowledge that in this thesis, we are at the present time studying the application and the use of this doctrine. And so they started giving us some scriptural examples. And what was the first scriptural example in the application and use of said doctrine? It was Psalm 51. And we had, I think, a good time talking about that one. Uh, we, we got into the discussion of when David was asking for a clean heart, what was going on, and we think it's more of an acknowledgement. My problem is my heart, and I need a clean heart, but we, obviously, God did not give him a clean heart, because if he did, what, what would be required to get a clean heart? The eradication of the old nature. Yeah, a new one, yeah. It would be eradication. And I know some people will go to the, the promises made about the new covenant, that God will put a new heart in them. And a lot of people will say, well, we have a new heart, but if we have a new heart but an old nature, then how does that, how does that work, right? And then not only that, the new covenant was made for whom? Israel. So we think possibly, or at least I think, I won't get all the way into this, maybe that promise to Israel won't be fulfilled until all the promises are made to Israel. Well, they will have a new heart and the whole, all of Israel will be saved. Because if you say we have a new heart now, well, then how do we have an old nature with a new heart? Do we have a new heart but an old nature? And then where's the old nature? Is the old nature not in the heart? Like now it gets really, I'm going to need a chart to figure out, okay, then the, the new heart is here. The old na- nature is located here, right? How does, that, how does that even work? I would think if I have a new heart, you would have to have the complete eradication of the Old nature. Oh, I know. I just now just threw a bomb in all kinds of people's theology. Okay, but I just I just don't know how that works. So we dealt with Psalm fifty one. I thought that was a great conversation. A lot. Uh, some people today had some questions in regards to uh, Psalm fifty one, and because I think a lot of people are struggling with it. Then we went from Psalm fifty one to Luke five eight, and we ran into what kind of problems? We felt that the book was doing what with the text. We thought we were messing it up completely, and we tried to correct it, and we tried to work through it. We're not going to go back through all of that, all right? Now, tonight, 
they give us a third passage of Scripture. Are you ready? You see, is this the only one? No. They give us, before this, we're going to be in this thesis for the rest of our lives, okay? That's what's going to happen. I'm hoping, well, well, look, here's, I guess I, I don't really care one way or the other. If they misuse the text, we still benefit from it, right? Because we still have to talk about long gospel. It just, it just frustrates me because we have to spend all of our time trying to correct it, right? But it still gets us into the text. So we have to go to 1 John. No, I don't even want to say 1 John. 1 John. Oh, boy. 1 John. Good old 1 John. All the problems that are, arises in 1 John. I just, I just, after all of the work I've done on the curse of Jeconiah, I, I need an easy sermon. That's what I need. I need something easy tonight, right? Something simple. So I'm just going to say, I'm just, this uh, law means do this. Gospel means it's done. Let's call it a night. Okay, let's, okay, no. We, we're not, we're not going to do that. But, man, that curse of Jeconiah stuff has got me so, I've been so bothered by it all day I forgot to eat lunch. So I'm starving. So here we go. All right, 1 John chapter 3. Everybody ready? They're, they're going to give us two verses. Oh, boy. Two verses. That is just always, it's just always makes me a little concerned considering all the issues going on in 1 John that we have to deal with. But all right, here we go. 1 John chapter 3. They want us to look at verse 19 and 20. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. All right? Now, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to say anything right now because right, that could just lead to about a thousand problems right here. But okay, verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then have we, beloved, if our heart condemns us not, then have we confidence towards God. Now, they just want us to look at verse 19 to 20, but I thought I would read that there. So, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. All right. Here's what the text does. Are you ready? Thinking caps on. When our heart does not condemn us, it is easy to distinguish law and gospel. That's an interesting concept. Now remember, I think this is important because their argument is that law and gospel, one of the places it's learned, is in the, the, the experience of life, the school of experience, right? And I agree with that, right? Uh, law and gospel, when, you, when you're sitting in the pew, right, it's just a theoretical concept. Here's law, here's gospel, everyone give me the definition, everyone can give the definition, and everyone goes home and go, look at me, I learned about law and gospel, see all of my notes? But it becomes a whole different thing when you are living Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because what's happening Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday in your life, my life, and the life of people around you? Life. Sin. Sin. That's what I want to say. Sin is happening, correct? When you're sitting here, it's just, it's theoretical. When you get out there, then you realize you are sinning, Right? You are sinning, and you continue to sin every single day. Well, then that makes, okay, what, how, what does the law do here? What does the gospel do here? 
What do I turn to here? What do I turn to here? What do I apply to here? What do I apply to there? So I, I, if, if, if you don't get anything else down tonight, I just, I want, I'm going to just, before we read any more what they have to say here, I want to make it very clear. It is the school of experience where this concept has to be understood and has to be applied. Look, this, the, 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 the law and gospel, think about it this way. The, uh, and, and you may want to write this down. The theology of law and gospel is not learned in the church or the seminary. It is learned in life. Because that's where you have to figure it out. Um, I, I just, right before I came here, I was live on the air and did an hour-long broadcast. We were reviewing a, a, an audio clip from John Piper, basically telling a, you know, a woman who's abused that she has to stay there and you know, take some of the abuse because she's supposed to, you know, uh, submit to her husband, right? So, and, it, and so we, we talked a lot about, about it, but one of the things I, I said in that is, this is the difficult, and just, uh, so I'm going to kind of bring this to this because I think it's important. What, when law tells you what to do or what not to do, it's very, it's just very rigid, right? It's very black and white, and, and since it kind of, it wears a blindfold, right? It doesn't take into consideration what? Anything. No circumstance, no, it's just very like, this is what you do, doesn't matter about anything else. Don't, don't do this, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Do this. When Jesus says, hey, resist not evil, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, that, does he take into consideration anything that could happen, possible happen? So we come along and say, well, clearly he didn't mean this, clearly he didn't mean this, because we're trying to figure it out. Because law is what? Do this. It's black and white. So when we are living our life, we know this. We do, we don't, our lives don't reflect black and white. Right? There, sometimes we do good, sometimes we do Bad, but most of the time we're somewhere in the middle, right? And life is all messy. So now, how do I apply law and gospel to my life? That's why it has to be learned in the school of experience, not in church. Church, I can just give this to you, right? Here's law and gospel, and then you go out there and you're like, well, I got this situation. What, do I need law? Do I need gospel? And it's like, well, when you figure it out, contact me. All right? Because it is confusing. Agreed? All right? So, just keep that in mind. So what they say, when your heart does not condemn you, it's easy to distinguish law and gospel. Do you think that's true? When your heart does not condemn you, it's easy to distinguish between law and gospel. You don't think it's true? Okay. So you think it's easier to distinguish when your heart condemns you. Okay. I think when your heart condemns you, you may, I think the reason it may be hard to distinguish, or at least I think this is where they're going. I, uh, well, but I think, I, just, just throw, I'm going to throw out a theory. I'll play devil's advocate. I will th- I think, that when your heart condemns you, the reason you have a hard time distinguishing between law and gospel is that you only feel the weight of one's condemnation and it's hard to see the gospel or receive the gospel. You don't see it, you don't receive it because you don't believe you 
deserve it. So then you get into a cycle of self-loathing, hating yourself, condemning yourself, depressed, discouraged, and may say, Christianity is not for me. Does that make sense? Oh, well, we don't. We don't. Yeah, that is true. That is true. That is true. But I think that sometimes when our heart condemns us, we can't see. I think we can see law. I just don't think we see gospel. But, but I, I think the danger could be, have you ever been in a place where your heart doesn't condemn you? That's the part. I, that's the part. I'm like, I don't know if I've ever been there. Because every day I find some reason that my heart's like, you're a piece of garbage, right? I, I don't know. I think uh, at, least, at least for me. Oh, that's a good question. That's good because the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Yeah, I, I don't ever want to listen to my heart anyway. That's a good point. That's a very good point. All right, let's see where, where they go with this. When our heart does not condemn us, it is easy to distinguish law and gospel. Now, this is interesting. That is the state of a Christian. They're arguing the state of a Christian is one whose heart is not, does not condemn them. Why? I think I know what they're saying. As a Christian, why should our heart not condemn us? Okay, what scripture is that? Romans 8.1. Therefore now in Christ Jesus, there is, there, or there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There, well, there's no condemnation. So should we ever feel condemned in our heart? Like, that's a good question. As a Christian, should I never feel condemnation? And is there a distinction between condemnation and guilt? L- let's look up in the English dictionary. Someone look it up. Look up guilt and look up condemnation. Who wants to look up guilt? Oh, you take condemnation. All right. So are you looking up guilt? Let's see. Just see. I, I, are they are they a synonym? Are they are they completely different? What 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 are they? Is there something that we need to distinguish between the two? I'm telling you, every line of this book we could spend six years on, but that's okay. What do we have? Who has for who got first? Okay, go ahead and give me the definition for guilt. Okay, so guilt is more of just a fact. I've done wrong. Okay, well, that kind of goes a little beyond it. Okay, all right, but guilt, first and foremost, is just the fact of. All right, condemnation? The expression of very strong disapproval, censure, or to the action of condemning someone to a punishment. Okay, so guilt would be, I've done wrong. Right? I've done wrong. I know I've done wrong. We're condemning. I would be condemning myself, saying I am condemned, like almost like I don't deserve God's grace. I am condemned. I think maybe there's a, a way to distinguish it. So as a Christian, should we ever feel condemnation? We should feel guilt, but maybe we should never feel condemnation. So should our heart ever condemn us because we are in Christ Jesus? That's an interesting concept, right? So, so let's put this all together. Let's just see where they go with this. When our heart does not condemn us, it's easy to distinguish law and gospel, and that is the state of a Christian. In other words, what they are claiming, why is it so hard for us to distinguish between law and gospel? Because our heart doesn't condemn us. All right, maybe. All right, let, let's, let's see where they go. But he may get into a condition where his heart condemns him. So our heart shouldn't condemn us, but we can all get ourselves in a condition where it does. 
Um, do what he will. Okay, well, let me read this. This is the state of a Christian. But he may get into a condition where his heart condemns him. Do what he will. He cannot silence the accusing voice within. Okay. I, I think a lot of Christians feel this way. It's weird. Some Christians, it's, it's odd the way Christians live their lives. Some Christians don't really feel the condemning voice ever, right? And I think some people can never get away from the condemning voice. And I think there's got to be a biblical balance. I need to feel the weight of my guilt so that I know that what I've done, but I can't let it slide over into condemning because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's got to be a way to to balance that out. Well, let's see what they, they say here. Now, if in that moment, so they're talking about there comes a point where we cannot silence the accusing voice within. We can find ourselves in that condition. Now, if in that moment, a person rightly divided the law and gospel, he will fall at Jesus' feet and take comfort in Jesus' merit. That, however, is not easy. So if we, if we truly had long gospel correct, right? When we get into this place where our heart condemns us and we feel condemned and condemned and condemned and condemned, if we truly know long gospel at that very moment, we would not continue to beat ourselves up and feel guilty. We'd simply come to Jesus, throw ourselves at his feet and rejoice in his merit and receive the merit that he has for us, his, his righteousness, his perfection. Right. I, I, I think theoretically this all sounds good. I don't know how this plays in life, right? Okay, we'll, 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 we'll go through this a little bit more, all right? That, however, is not easy. After Christians have learned to make the proper practical use of the distinction between law and the gospel, they join St. John in saying, God is greater than my heart. He has rendered a different verdict on men's sinning, and that applies also to me. Blessed are you if you have learned this difficult art. If you have learned it, do not imagine yourselves perfect. You will always be no more than beginners in this art. Remember this, When the law condemns you, then immediately lay hold upon the gospel. Right now, if we go back to 1 John 3, verse 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. So immediately what we have to do when our heart condemns us, is do what? God is greater than our hearts. When our hearts condemn us, what do we turn to? That which is greater than our hearts, which is God. Okay, so immediately what we have to learn to do is in in the school of experience, here's how it works. Are you going to sin? Everybody should say yes, okay? All right. If anybody here thinks they don't, then they've got problems, right? And immediately when we sin, in one sense, we fill the weight of our guilt. The guilt is just acknowledging what? I messed up. I violated God's law. I am wrong, okay? But I don't allow that to lead to condemnation because in Christ Jesus, 
There is no condemnation. So then I want the guilt should drive me immediately to the feet of Jesus, where I trust in his merit, his goodness, his righteousness. Boom. And I can rejoice in that. Am I excusing my sin? No. Am I, am I just saying it's no big deal? No. But it's not condemning me. If I fall into a pattern of just I'm defeated, I'm defeated, I'm, I, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. Now listen, I struggle with that all the time. There's countless times a day, just weird. I can just be, I, I can be driving the car. I can just, and all of a sudden, it's like every sin I've ever committed comes flooding into my head. And I'm like, man, I'm so messed up. I am so messed up. I am so messed up. I'm so messed up. That's a condemning attitude, right? Because in my mind, when I became a Christian, the way I thought, I don't know how other people thought, I thought, okay, look. Well, this is the way I kind of figured it, okay? In life, based off the, my family, abuse, and everything, okay, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm a loser. I'm a piece of garbage, whatever. And that led me to, you know, beating myself if I messed up in a sport or whatever. Like, you know, crazy things happen. Even when I was in the psychiatric hospital, and I, uh, we were playing a game that had paddles, and I made a mistake, and then I beat myself with the paddle, and they were like, okay, this is insane. We've got to figure this out. Like, you can't beat yourself with the paddle. But my thing is, you make a mistake, you get what? Punished. That's the way I thought life worked. If you make a mistake, you get punished. You make a, and even if no one's around to punish you, you punish yourself, right? Okay, it makes sense to me. You beat yourself unconscious. That's the way it's supposed to work. So, so when I became a Christian, I thought, okay, I get a new start. Because all my mistakes are what? Washed away. And I'm like, okay, all right, I can do this, right? And the way everyone taught me was... You can do it, because now I'm a new creature in Christ. Old has passed away. I now have the power. I can do it. And I'm like, all right. So then in my mind, I'm going to be the best Christian that has ever existed on the face of the planet. I'm going to read my Bible more than anyone. I'm going to study more than anyone. I won't miss a church service. I won't miss a discipleship class. I won't miss anything. I'm going to make everyone know that I'm the best. It didn't work quite out that way because I started realizing I kept sinning, I kept sinning, I kept sinning. But I didn't have, I didn't have, the, pro, I didn't have the ability to process it, right? So it led to some really messed up stuff. Beating myself, hitting myself for sin, right? It led me to some really like, you know, it's, it wasn't a good situation. Let's just say that. In other words, Christianity was leading to more mental stress than it was anything. That's why when I got ready to kill myself, I was just like, look, what's the point? I can't live out the Christian life. My mom is dead. Nothing worse. Let's just shoot myself. So the last words I got ready to say was, Father, forgive me because I'm a sinner. I don't know what else to do, right? Maybe maybe like I can get saved one more time and then shoot myself. And then life, then, then nobody can say that I wasn't the best Christian because I literally die with all my sins forgiven. Like it was a really twisted way of thinking about it. Like Christianity pushed me more to suicide than kept me from it. So in that case, what was happening? My heart was condemning me. And what did I think the way out of it was? Do better, do better, do better, do better, do better, right? Because, and then remember, what? I was relying on the law instead of relying on Christ. And not only that, guess what was massively influencing my theology at the time? No, John MacArthur on the Lordship salvation, which would have been telling me, no, that I can do it. If I don't, I'm possibly not saved. So then I'm, I'm all, con- I can do it, but I keep sinning. And if I keep sinning, I'm possibly not saved. Oh, man. What? 
This, this is ridiculous, right? Christianity did not help me. It harmed me in many, many ways. And when I say Christianity, the, just the confusion here, because no one ever really came along and said, no, 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 stop. You can't do it. You can't do it. Christ did it. Now, Lutherans tried to teach me that, but it felt like to me, what do you think it felt like to me? No, no, Lutherans did not focus on the law. No, no, remember, they have long gospel down. It felt like easy believism, cheap grace, and a cop-out. Oh, they're antinomians. They don't even care about doing the right thing. Right, right, well, yeah, and then you watch how some of them lived, and you're like, well, they don't even care. See, I'm, but what, but I was convincing myself that I was doing better than them, but the reality is I was still committing, oh, man, it's just a nightmare. It's just an absolute nightmare what that all turns into. And you're just trying to figure, and so I'm making mistakes here, making mistakes there, thinking I'm convincing myself that I'm doing good, and, and then maybe externally everyone thinks, oh, he thinks he's better than everyone else, but internally I'm thinking, you know, I need to die, and I live in sin, and I, even to this day, I still struggle with I you know it's, it's all it's like like I don't even know how many times I've wanted to just give up Christianity because I know I can't do it I want to do it but I can't do it I can't so what's supposed to happen let's make sure we realize in the school of experience what's the what's the experience sin guilt is acceptable and right we need to acknowledge our guilt and sin but we can't get into the cycle that I'm trying to describe that happened in my life. This just self-loathing, self-condemnation. I'm, I'm a garbage. I'm trash. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. At some point, I got to go to God who is greater than my heart. And how is he greater than my heart? My heart is wicked, but he's perfect. And his righteousness overcomes my guilt. That's what it was supposed to go to. But we end up in this endless cycle of self love at least some of us. You, some of you listening, you may never even experienced any of this. You may not even have ever, I don't know what your issues were, but that's why long gospel, long gospel has something to say to everyone depending on their situation. And this situation that I think they're describing is you get into a thing where you're condemned and you're condemned. And what's your choice when you get into this cycle of condemnation? What's your choice here? When you get into a cycle of self-condemnation and self-loathing, what are your options as a Christian? One, you begin to become self-righteous and convince yourself that you're better than you are, that you're passing MacArthur's test, that you're doing good, that you're not the antinomian, that you're not the easy believism, that you really are living, and you almost become a self-righteous jerk thinking that you've got it figured out. And anyone who says anything different is an antinomian. They're going against the gospel. They've got to stand up for the truth. Well, while they say that, when nobody is looking, they got this sin in their life, this sin in their life, this sin in their life, this, 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 but nobody knows it. And as long as no one knows it, they're good, the church is good. But if the dam cracks and the water comes crashing through, they're destroyed because their self-righteousness just went up in flames or just got washed away in the flood. So there's your first option. Go grab fig leaves. Go grab a robe of self-righteousness. Be arrogant, be condemning, and think that you're good enough. And anyone running around with MacArthur's test, they obviously think they're good enough because I've never met anyone who argues with me about it who thinks that they fell the test. 
Which you've got to be insane because we've looked at the test here. Anyone who's honest would do what? Fail the test. So there's option number one, just self-righteousness. And I've been there, did it. I got the t-shirt. I excelled at it, right? That's wonderful. Okay, what's the second option? Just drowned in self-condemnation. Drown in guilt. And guess what will happen? Your Christian life will become a burden. There'll be no joy. There'll be no happiness. There'll be discouragement. There'll be depression. And it can lead to what? Just, I'm done. I'm done. This is garbage. It doesn't work. The whole thing doesn't work. It's just garbage. Bunch of rules. And, then, and typically what you'll do, you'll become bitter. They say, it doesn't work. Everyone I know is a Christian is a hypocrite anyway. What you're really saying is, they were a hypocrite, right? But it's really good to try to make, and so you just, you're done. You're destroyed. You're done. Your Christian life is a, is a living hell. You don't want anything to do with it. Make it even lead to depression and suicide. That's, that's horrible. And what's your third option? In Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. And you run to Christ, throwing yourself at his feet, saying, your merit, not my merit, your righteousness, not my righteousness, your goodness, and therefore you're no longer, con- you, you see your sin. Like, what I should do when I have those thoughts, because I have these thoughts a lot when I'm driving the car and I'm b- bombarded with them, it's just like, you know what, all of that is true. But in Christ Jesus, I'm forgiven. That's how it should work. What do you think is the major problem in, in, in getting to the right part? What do you think is the major problem getting to the right part? Because theoretically, even Christians who believe, yes, you're forgiven in Christ, here's the problem. We're good at that until someone around us commits a big sin, and we almost forget all of that, don't we? Do people come running to you with the gospel? No, no, no. They come running to you to get the dirt. Hey, I heard. How you doing? What's going on? And how you're doing and what going, go, is going on. You know what that translates to? Tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. And then as soon as they find out what happened, then they go talk about it. They don't, they don't say, man, listen, man, in Christ, there is no condemnation. In Christ, there is free. They don't present the gospel to you. They're going to tell you, well, now you're going to talk about you, slander you, gossip you, won't ever let you, you're, you're, you, you will always be remembered for what? What you did. And Christians do that. Christians do. Christians almost want you to live where? In, this, in the ocean of self-loathing. They want you drowning in it. And when you try to crawl up on the beach, they grab your body, throw you back into the ocean and say, drown and die because we don't want you to ever experience grace. Or they'll say, well, you can have grace. However, there's consequences. And guess who gets to define those consequences? They do. Isn't that that the beautiful world of Christianity? Now, I don't blame them for that because we're all sinners, so we all handle it in the wrong way. But you see how this whole cycle works? First John comes along and says what? If your heart condemns you, everybody look at the verse. Verse John 3. 
Everybody, I want everyone to say it with me. God is greater than our heart. 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 All right, now. Here we go. Like two hostile forces. We understand two hostile forces, right? We understand the, the military imagery. We understand the battle imagery, right? We have two forces, two armies. And these two armies are called law and gospel. And guess where they sometimes clash? Inside our own conscience. A battle happens inside our own conscience. Guess what the gospel says to you? You have been received into God's grace. What do you think the law says? Do not believe that. Look at your past life. How many, how many and grievous are your sins? Examine the thoughts and desires that you have harbored in your mind. That's what happens. The gospel says, hey, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're righteous. There is no condemnation. God is greater than your heart. And you're like, man, finally, I am free. And then the law comes along and says, what are you doing? You're trash. Come on, look at, examine yourself. Look at yourself. Look at your works. Here's the test from MacArthur. Take the test. Here's the test from Jonathan Edwards. Take the test. Oh, come on. Look at your thoughts. Come on. Nobody else knows what you think about. Nobody else knows what you desire. Come on. Be honest. And at some point, you know what you forget really quick? That there's no more condemnation in Christ Jesus. And guess what you feel? Defeated and destroyed is what you feel. On an occasion like this, it is difficult to divide law and gospel. It is absolutely impossible to divide law and gospel at that point. When this happens to a person, he must say to the law, away with you, your demands have been fully met and you have nothing to demand of me. There is one who has paid my debt. This difficult this difficulty does not occur to a person dead in their trespasses and sins. Now, that's a good point. This struggle doesn't... You, well, I don't think it's going to happen to someone dead in their trespasses. They're not going to have this struggle, right? They're not going to like, oh man, I've done this and I've done this and I feel so guilty and I feel so guilty. They're not going to have that. The, the same person will have this struggle. They will know. But what we're, the answer isn't, see, this is what drives me crazy. As soon as you talk about this, you'll have someone going, no, 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 no. You've got to do, and you're telling me I don't have to do anything. You're telling, well, you, what are you, did Christ do it or not? And so they want you to go, what, when, when you have this feeling, what they want you to do is say, you just got to pass the test. Here's the 14-point test by MacArthur. You pass the test, then you'll feel better about yourself. But that's not the answer. The answer is to tell the law what? Everything you demand has already been done. Everything you condemn me for has already been paid for. Go away. Leave me alone. It's all taken care of. Now, the minute I say that, someone's going to say, Antinomian! No, what I'm saying is Christ took care of the demands of the law. 
did, either he did or he did not. We clearly can't. And you can give me all the tests in the world. It, what am I? Well, those tests are either going to do what? Condemn me until I'm in self-loathing, or it's going to create that I've got to pretend that I'm passing the test, which creates to self-righteousness, and it's fake. It's garbage. The Pharisees did that. They cleaned up what? The outside. The inside, they were corrupted. That's not the answer. The answer isn't self-righteousness and give me some test. Because if I'm honest with the test, I'm going to be self-loathing and condemned. And if I'm not honest with the test, then I'm over here as a Pharisee. My only hope is to look at the law and say, it's Christ. It's Christ. Leave me alone. It's Christ. Take the demands of the law and go see Jesus. Take all the demands. Go to the cross. Take all the demands. They are going to be met. Remember what we talked about? Why does the Bible say we're going to be judged according to our works? Well, I got no problem saying I'm going to be judged according to my works because guess what my works are? All the works of Jesus imputed to me. So by all means, judge me according to my works. And guess whose works God sees? Christ's works. So then I can be judged according to my works and be declared to be well done, that good and faithful servant. Because was Christ the good and faithful servant? Yes. In Christ Jesus, what am I? A good and faithful servant. All right? But, guess what? This struggle, this struggle does not happen to someone dead in their trespasses and sins. That's why when Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. That's why I don't believe you can read that as him being lost. That's literally the life of a believer. Are there things you don't want to do that you do? Every day. Because what should you want to do? Be holy as God is holy. Right? That's what you want to do. Do you do it? No. That's what you want to do. What do you not want to do? Sin. Do you do it? So the things you don't want to do, you do. And the things you want to do, you never do. <laughs> it's, that's, I, like, no, I wish someone would have told me that's the way the Christian life is going to be. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to become a Christian. We're going to give you 9,227 billion laws. And you're going to fail every single one of them. Enjoy. But they didn't tell me that. They told me. You can do it, like all of us. And then after knowing them for about five minutes, you're like, None of you are doing it. So why? So, <laughs> I mean, Christianity, it's, Christianity is psychologically damaging if you don't think it through. I mean, it literally can just like, it can lead you to the side of a bridge ready to jump off because I'm telling you, I don't know how, I think the only reason Christians don't get bothered by it is because most Christians just don't care. They're just like, whatever, whatever. Sin, sin. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to live my life to the best I can. But all, all we got to do is avoid what? The big ones. The big ones. Don't kill anybody. Don't have an abortion. Don't sleep with a prostitute. You know, just a couple of big ones. And then everything else, we're good to get. We, we, it's just everything else. We just play such games with the whole thing. We play such games with everything. If we really, if we really saw our sin the way we should, we would all be where? Drowning in the ocean of complete despair, unless it's for Christ, right? Um, he said, "But this difficulty is quite real to a person who has been converted." 
Don't you agree? I think it, it uh, agree. And that's where we're going to stop. I'm not, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to go to the next one, right? Because the next one starts a whole nother point, all right? And if we, if you look at the time, you know we're not going to be able to finish the next point. Agreed? Okay, there's no. So, any questions on this? Okay, so let's make sure, just a quick review. First John 3 says what? Come on, someone, summarize. Okay, when our heart condemns us, What's our hope? God. Please note, when your heart condemns you, where is your hope? Now, some would go back into 1 John and say, no, your hope is what you do. Right? But we, we, we've already talked about how reading this is a polemic against Gnosticism. But there's a lot of comforting verses in 1 John that everyone leaves out the comfort. How do you work out the comfort? With, with the test. The, the bottom line is when your heart condemns you, you don't look to yourself, you look to Christ. So, this is, so let's make sure we have how it works. When your heart condemns you, do, uh, and, and we sin, we acknowledge guilt. We don't want to fall into the pit of self loathing, of self condemnation. We run to Christ and realize that He's greater than our heart and we trust in Him. But whenever we fall, whenever there is sin and there's all the problems, we have a couple of options. Options. What are those three options? I want to make sure everyone has this down. One would be self-righteousness, where when I feel guilt, I look to what I do, make sure I do more, make sure I do good, I'm passing some kind of test, and I have to start convincing myself that I am, and this leads to basically running around with fig leaves, a robe of self-righteousness, we end up acting like the Pharisees. That's of no help, right? Because one, it doesn't get us to Christ, and two, it gets us focused on ourselves. And three, it leads to arrogance, self-condemn, and, and you condemn other people. Because why do you condemn other people in that state? Because the more I can see Bobby's sin, then I know that I'm doing better than Bobby, so I'm passing the test. If, I, if, if we would stop taking the MacArthur test and looking, comparing ourselves to everyone else and immediately look to God, what is God's standard for the test? Perfect. Personal. Exact. Entire and perpetual. And immediately, what would we say to MacArthur's test? Woe is me, I'm undone. But for some weird reason, some people think, nope, got it. And if you think you got it, you're insane. You're self-deceived. And I've been there. I've been there. But if it doesn't, if you don't, if you can't convince yourself of that, then where do you find yourself? Drowning in an ocean of condemnation, self-loathing, I'm never good enough, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, guilt, 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 guilt. What's the only hope? Well, you either give up and just die, okay? Walk away from Christianity, or you, in both cases, where you should go to is the third option, which is at the feet of Jesus and saying, not my righteousness, your righteousness. And what do I say to the law? It's been taken care of. No, you don't have no control over me. Christ is the end of the law for me. He took care of it. He paid for it. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. My hope is in him. My heart no longer condemns me because God is greater than my heart. But all that plays out where? In the school of experience, I cannot stress that enough. All of this is learned where? Here we're just talking about it. Doesn't mean anything right now, right? 
There's people listening to me, right? It does, this doesn't mean it. It's just concepts on, on their notebook. But it comes into play when? It's going to come into play tomorrow, the next day. Because guess what you're all going to do even before you go to sleep? Sin. And you're going to, you know what you're going to do tomorrow? Sin. You know what you're going to do Friday? Sin. You know what you're going to do Saturday? Sin. And then you come back to church to get some more theory. Some more, that's what you do. You get, you get some more theories. You get some more hypotheses. You get, you, you're great. But you've got to figure out how all this works in life. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Because the, the Bible just gives us rules. And then we, and we break them all. We break every single one of them. Continually. At some point, we all we can either we can try harder, but all, and all the attra- trying harder, we're just going to fail. The gospel has to come in somewhere. All right, so there we go. Nobody asked any questions in the chat because I explained it so well, so perfectly. No one could come up with a question. Okay, that that's what I'm going to tell myself. All right, okay. Or, or the audio is not actually working and nobody can actually hear me. Okay, one, one way or the other. Um, but I'm going to just tell myself that it was so perfect that nobody has any questions. All right, we'll stop right there. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. I think the only thing I can say tonight is thank you for being greater than my sin. And thank you that when my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart. Because there's nothing but sin in us. And in your son, there is righteousness and holiness. And we look to him and not to ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people say.